Welcome to The Porch. I'm Lindsay Bacardo, keynote speaker and virtual presenter for organizations who want to build strong, multi-generational teams. I believe that the modern day leader has a moral obligation to grow personally and lead others from a grounded and healthy and healed place. You're going to hear me bring on psychologists, neuroscience experts, storytellers, emotional intelligence researchers, really anything that helps a leader grow personally and ultimately impact the culture of their organization. This is where I bring my favorite thought leaders on these topics to teach and mentor us through our own growth. I'm so glad you're here and welcome to The Porch. Welcome everybody, come on in. I'm so excited to share this time with you on The Porch with Adam Weber. If you haven't met Adam Weber, He's in my world, in the HR world, in the indie local scene world, Adam Weber is the person that you, you notice from across the bar. You're like, hey, I know him. You are Tramplify. He's, he helped design that. He's, a, he's actually in our world kind of like a rock star here in Indianapolis and nationally too. He speaks on stages in all different places. He, well, right now he's doing it all on Zoom. And uh, he writes for Fast Company. He's, everyone wants to hear from him and hear his perspective. He works every day to help people realize and achieve their full potential. He's the chief people officer, which is a baller role, at, and co-founder of Amplify. And this isn't his first rodeo. He's built other companies before. And this is really a sweet spot for him being the chief people officer. And Amplify, if you don't know about Amplify, it's a company that helps leaders measure, diagnose, and solve their employee engagement challenges, which... What a year to be Amplify. I just have to say, Adam, I feel so lucky to have you here. Your book came out, what, maybe a month ago now? It came out, yeah, almost exactly a month ago, yeah. By the way, yeah. what an awesome intro. I'm like so fired up right now myself. I'm like, yes. good, go me. I'm feeling really good. You made you me feel should. great. <laughs> you should, you're doing good work. And I got to tell you, my head almost fell off from nodding as I was reading this because I was like, yes, 100%, oh, so 100%. Awesome. Finally, somebody's saying it. Yes. And, you know, I think it's so interesting to think about your story just as a person and where you've come from and then the research that you would amplify and how that all comes together in this very readable book, very personal, short. There's what I love as a coach is that there's action items throughout it too. So you're not just like, here's Adam's awesome ideas. Okay. See you later. There's actually things that we can do. And we're going to talk about that today, but I'm just, I'm so excited, but I got to tell you, when I read the first couple pages, I was like, oh my gosh, we could have led a worship band together. And <laughs> <laughs> just to, it's the year 2000. Exactly. <laughs> the acoustic guitar one. is just, yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I, I'm so curious for you because sometimes when people hear me speak, they're like, what did you do before this? Like you have a different vibe. What'd you do? And I was like, I played drums in a band and I was in ministry. And they're like, okay, I get, you have just a different texture to the way that you present information. And I'm curious as somebody who was a musician, a worship pastor, then became a pastor literally overnight and started, you know, speaking to people's hearts. How do you think that's informed like the work that you're doing today? How do you see that informing it? That's a good question. You know, the book kind of lays out, I became a pastor by accident. I was just yeah. doing the music at a church. I was trying to be a professional musician. And then I was getting paid a hundred bucks a week to do music at a church. And then the head pastor uh, resigned. And so I was, it was mm -hmm. brand new, was 250 people. I'd never given a sermon in my life. And I went to Ball State. Um, 
<laughs> and so, uh, I mean, I think actually like most of the growth happened by just pushing myself. Like I was yes. a float, I was a floater up to that point. I would say mm -hmm. like never had to try hard at school. I always just did fine, you know, what, and, and, and in that moment, when you're looking around, there's like the mayor who went to the church, the state representative, all these different people, and they're adults, they're like grownups, and I'm 25. And I feel like some of it was like, I felt the weight of other people in that moment, and I felt their hopes and their fears, and it, it pushed me right to the edge of my discomfort, and then I lived in that. And then I pushed myself in that. And I think that just, I grew a ton um, yes. from that experience. And it does help. I mean, especially when you do like the work we do, like I'm in front of people a lot. And so, I mean, I got to spend a whole year uh, speaking publicly in front of yes. hundreds of people. And, and that was a really powerful experience too. Um, yeah, I can. I also well, think just talking about real stuff, by the way, that's the other thing, just like yeah. just having conversations about things that matter and, and things that, that are going on in other people's lives is a space that is a comfortable world for me. I can see that there's like a through line in your book that you would show up. I could put you in a bunch of different environments, but the same like Adam DNA would show up in those different places. So in church, you're still speaking in people's hearts. You care about what matters most. You're talking about their values. You're talking about what drives them. You're giving them ideas of, you know, how to be more hopeful and how to maybe see situations differently. I'm like, man, there's a lot of there's a lot of through lines that come through in ministry when you're doing it from this genuine place that you were doing it from and then wanting to really take care of people in the workspace. And there's, there's real beauty to that. And there's this experience you've had where you've probably also walked people through really heavy things as a pastor that most people wouldn't normally talk about because you're walking through their, like you said, like their real life, their family, right? life and death, marriage, all those pieces that you witnessed i think that's i just think it's really cool and it's clear that you care about people no matter what environment we put you in like you're gonna you're gonna have some version of this come out of it which is pretty cool very cool thank you yeah that that feels i that reson that resonates with me and i think um you know some people are like oh that is such a different career change but in many ways it's very similar like yes. i mean we started that from the beginning and I, almost everything i've done it's um can you can you be a part of something before it becomes something else? Yeah. You know? And then and and can you see where it's going and then do the work to get there? And I feel like mm -hmm. that's like the world I've lived in for literally my whole career. And is like I have a vision of where things are going and I know it can happen, but like people, other people don't see it. And like I'm gonna lean into that moment. I'm gonna like help do the work to actually make it happen. Yes, I can see that. I mean, a church is like a startup too, in that sense. You're believing into being those different things. Right. That's cool. What do you think it means? What does it mean to you to lead like a human? I think at its core essence, it's, it's leading as your uh, true authentic self. Mm -hmm. So it, it is far, far too often like the workforce, you know, for the last 30 years, it, it's still reeling from the industrial revolution and world war II and top down authoritarian leadership. Yes. And yet the employees have changed how they view work. So the employees, the individual contributors have all said, hey, we don't value the things that 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 type of leader values. And so there's this natural misalignment that is just like plaguing the workforce. Yes. Um, and, so, and, and so to me, lead like a human is just to present a new way to lead as your true authentic self. But in in 
return, you're actually leading in a way that the workforce longs to be led and you will unlock their potential by leading in that way. That's brilliant. Brilliant. Whenever we talk about, whenever I'm talking about employee engagement, we look at how the definition of leadership has morphed in the last hundred years. And you are hitting the biggest point is that it is, it is almost a 180 of what leadership used to be top down authoritarian fear driven right. obey. That's your option is to obey or, you know, for like a boomer, you're going to get hit in school. You're going to get hit by your parents. That's, this is how we act. This is how we behave. And then we've got these employees and I'm sure you see this as, you know, the co-founder of Amplify who were saying, I, I want to be like collaborative. I want to have a relationship with you. I need something totally different. And the amount of emotional intelligence that a leader needs now is completely different than it was 50 years ago, hundred years ago. Yeah. Which is basically what's broken about the whole workforce is yeah. <laughs> especially right before yeah. COVID, like a whole bunch of I mean, younger or very first time managers who are all top individual contributors all got moved into management for the very first time and yep. they didn't have the soft skills or the empathy or the necessary training needed to succeed. And so they got into the role and what did they do? They fell right back into the pattern of the leaders before them. And yep. so they're displaying and, and it's just, and it was wreaking, it's wreaking havoc. And then yes. you add in something like COVID where now you add physical distance and digital uh, divide between people and you just create all sorts of dysfunction inside of companies and cultures. Yes. And that idea too, with all of this going on, when we're under that type of stress and maybe even amygdala hijack, maybe we're really, really stressed empathy. We can't even access that part of our brain that would help us care for other people. And I think right. you bring up a really interesting antidote to all of this that's in your book. Go get it. I bought it right off Amazon. It came to me the next day, obviously, Amazon Prime rules our life. Um, but you bring up this idea that to be an authentic leader, to be able to be present and to be empathetic, there's this first step that everyone wants to skip over because we just want to buy a ping pong table and get everybody to be more playful to change our culture. But you say, no, the first step is about getting centered as a leader. Yeah. And it's not about tactics to try to like get people to be a certain way. It's, am I, am I doing that deep work on myself? Am I transformed? Am I self-aware? Yeah. And I think it, it mattered to me a lot that I started with that because it's so easy. Even things like this, you show up and you're like, every, we're all in this, a bit of a desperate spot <laughs> yeah. and we show up and we like are trying to find the one silver bullet that's going to like be the yeah. answer, the end all be all to our problems and our challenges. Like what's that one tip I need to do? And the, the reality is like, if the workforce today, I, I didn't lay it out in totality, but like one of the primary drivers of the workforce, the modern workforce is an authentic leader. That's right. The reality is there is no secret to becoming an authentic leader. You have to actually do the work to become an authentic person. Mm -hmm. And it is work, it is work to be done. It's growing in your self-awareness. It's putting disciplines and rhythms in your life that, that allow you to consistently show up. And it's, um, and, and it's then display like li living like be being willing to be vulnerable right and yes. putting those things in practice and i think when you lay mm -hmm. that as your foundation then I, the way i word it is like you can then do the work of translation in your own life when you hear tips like when you hear a tip or a trick you go instead of trying to apply somebody else's you you start to put it through the lens of like how would i myself do this like what does this look mm -hmm. like in my world with my context i can make it my own as opposed to 
writing somebody else's story as a leader. Yeah, and you've got to have that footing first that doing the hard work of being centered and authentic. And you, and that makes perfect sense that then you translate all those motivational talks or all those tactics or all these books we have about it. You can translate that because, you know, you'll have people say, well, I have a three person startup. It's different. Or I run a company of 600 people. It's different. Or I work on corporate level. Again, like you made the perfect point. We've got to be able to translate it. So I want to talk about, do you mind if we just talk about these kind of four areas that you outline in your book about how to get centered? Sure. This is my favorite topic. So I'm glad we're, I'm glad we're spending time on this one. It's always interesting when people read the book. Some people are like, I'm skipping that topic. It gets a little, it gets a little soft for me. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, what's so interesting is that a couple weeks ago on LinkedIn, I said like, Hey, forget the generational title. If you beat people up or try to shove them to get their work done. If people leave your office crying, if you're having certain types of issues, you probably need therapy. It's not about like this outside tactic or blame this label. And I think this is hard for me to accept. It's hard for other people to accept. Cause like you said, there's no magic bullet in these four areas that you wrote down. They're simple, but they're not easy to do. Even this one about journaling, this first one, you encourage leaders to journal. Can you tell us a little bit about what got you to that point where you said, yeah, that's that piece for self-awareness is key. What made you say that? I th- so anyone who moves into leadership for the first time comes face to face with many components of their personality that lay dormant all the way through their childhood. And <laughs> you get into leadership and you'll have a moment. And if you're new to leadership, I'll just I'm going to name it. It's still going to happen to you. I don't know how to prevent this from happening. <laughs> You're, you will move in your own self-unawareness and create havoc or, or char a field of ash. And you'll look back and then have a moment of honest self-reflection where you go, oh, that was me. And ju- what I think one of the powerful things about journaling is taking the time to just name your emotions, mm-hmm. name the experiences without judgment where am I today in this moment? Like, what am I feeling? Why, why am I having, you know, what is causing stress? It is not, it is, it is not a solution. It is just an awareness. Like it's just, and, and so then when you have awareness um, with repetition, you can begin to, to subside the patterns of the ash, you know, of like charring yes. the field essentially. That is so good. That's been a big, especially during COVID I bring, this, you know, those emotion wheels that like writers use and therapists use, I bring it into zoom calls and I ask people, how are you feeling? Let's see how narrow, let's make sure you're not just saying angry. Are you feeling embarrassed? Are you frustrated? And you know, a healthy adult can label over 30 emotions, but most American adults cannot do that. And so you're really pushing people to be vulnerable. I mean, it's in a journal. It's not like we're like, go on Facebook live and tell the world you're fine but it's, it can be really difficult. What do you think stops somebody from taking the time to journal even just five minutes a day? What do you think stops a leader? Um, that is a great question. I mean, I think in some ways we're all a little bit scared of ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> um, we haven't actually like, so I think a little, a little of that where we, we haven't learned to, in, to like ourselves and like all the parts of ourselves. And so mm-hmm. I think, 
Um, I, I'm sure there's something there. And I do think there's something to discipline too. I really tried to play that delicate balance. Like I've never been a big fan of like the wake up at four 30 and this is the thing. But at the same time, like I'm a very, I do carry a very meticulous morning routine, but I'm also a morning person. Like it, I didn't, right. er, I didn't yeah. earn being a morning person. I was born being a morning person. And so, so I think it's like being honest about how, who you are, but then being willing with what you've been given to put the disciplines in place, the map to who you are is like the way I would, that, that I feel a little bit more aligned to as opposed to like trying to get people to be like, oh, try harder. Or, oh, do, you know, it's more like, no, yeah. like just take an honest inventory of who you are and like, what's that rhythm for you? Maybe it's right before bed. You know, maybe yeah. you do a, take a moment and just do a little bit of writing right before bed. And by the way, for me, I'm not, I don't want to act like a superhero either. It's not like I, I, I go through seasons too, just like anybody. And also mine aren't super long. It's three, three to four sentences. It's pretty quick. It's, mm -hmm. it's a pretty quick process for me. Yeah. It's not like you're like, I go and levitate for two hours. Correct. And I down from Usually three. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Lindsay. I only do three hours of levitation. <laughs> But I think that is the intimidating part. I remember when I used to get like the new, remember when moleskin journals for millennials were like the jam yep. and I'd get a new one. I'd crack that binding the first time. And I'd be like, what do I write on the first page? It's gotta be like meaningful and it's gotta be something. So when I look back and I finally got to the point, where I was like, yeah, who cares? Just write down. Like, I don't know what to say yet. I'm still waking up. I wonder <laughs> what will happen today for and just get those get it moving and like you said earlier not to judge it but just to be okay with whatever comes out that's really powerful this idea of accepting your emotions too because i'm sure and you mentioned you know fatherhood in your book too it's like if we can't accept the emotions that we're in our kids we can't really be present for our kids we can't really be present for our employees we can't be present for our friends right and you seem to intuitively understand that and through practice too, you've seen that, which I think is awesome. The second one you talk about is rooting yourself in something larger. And again, you're not trying to be prescriptive. You're saying it could be a wisdom book. It could be poetry. It could be a bunch of different things. What do you think that does to a human when they kind of allow themselves to, to read and to take in those kind of big ideas, something larger It's interesting. It's funny when you write a book and then like your life moves on and you like start to process new things in new ways. You know, I've been thinking about that concept a lot, actually, like in my own life. Um, but I, I think a lot of it is, is tied to we all like, especially people, if you're all watching you from America, like we all have a bit of this like superhero complex where we're, we believe we are the, the center of the universe and all other characters are supporting characters. Yeah. Like, it's, it is good to like, just to be and to experience and to, and to experience your smallness and your finiteness and to, um, you know, it's the thing that that brought up for me, I wasn't expecting to go to, but what it brought up for me is like, when the book first launched, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, but like, that's about as much attention as I've ever gotten in my life. <laughs> wow, and yeah. I, uh, that Friday, I just like, I took, I, I took the day off. I was exhausted by the end of the week. And um, I went out to a state park and I just sat alone. I just sat alone. And I was like, just like big hills. And I was like, I just, it was just good to feel small, you know, like to remind yourself of like that, like, it's easy to think your current circumstance is overinflated. I can think that happens to all of us, we, especially people who like care a ton about work. It's easy to make your one specific work feel very inflated. And there's some, there's some centeredness, there's perspective. And then 
the benefit to the discipline though is, is pretty straightforward. It's like, there's going to come a moment where your stress is going to peak and your vision is going to get very tunneled. And the ability to root allows you occasionally to step out of it and look at it instead of being in it. And that's, that's kind of the core concept of it. Yes, I can see that. And, and I think we've all had those moments too of that tunnel vision. And I, th- it always helps me. I call my dad when things get weird, like when COVID happened, he's like, honey, we had smallpox parties when we were growing up. He like gave me that perspective, like, go look up the Spanish flu. Like he just was trying to help me see that what was happening right in this moment has either happened before or people have learned and grown from it, or it's kind of a funny example. But I think to your point, just getting rooted in the world does not revolve around me. And a lot of these ideas and a lot of these bigger concepts helps kind of us position. It's actually kind of comforting to be like, oh, the world doesn't revolve around me. Right. It is in its own way. It is comforting. There's a bit of grieving, I think, for people, but that's also like part of what it means to become an adult. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? Yes, exactly. Okay. So we've got encouraging just us us as leaders to journal, to become more self-aware. We've got this getting rooted in something bigger than ourselves to kind of help us see that we are not the center of the universe, which I think those play really nicely with each other in this Mm -hmm. balance. And then we have getting a hobby. And I loved your example. You got chickens. Mm-hmm. So tell us about, because it's hard to have a hobby right now, at least for me, because I'm like, I am too busy. There is a pandemic. I don't have time to do anything except work and sleep and eat. So tell us a little bit about all the, like the benefits that you see even having a hobby right now. Yeah. Also, speaking of things where when you write a book and then the book is like, more permanent than your actual hobby. Um, (laughs) I don't currently have chickens. And that's just a story that I'm not going to share, you know, during the video on the porch. But (laughs) um, it's funny, I've actually transitioned to backyard bird watching, which is now my hobby. It's a lot simpler. It still involves birds. And the end of the story is a little bit more positive. I think. (laughs) Chickens are tough. I I have only horror stories from friends that have chickens. That's the reason I can't do it. Because I'm like, have you ever heard of a raccoon or an owl? Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. And I've and I've had two batches. I actually did it for eight years. So it was like a pretty long, long-term hobby for You're me. Committed. And but what what it really gets to, I mean, that was like a really practical. I always like to like share the example, but get practical so people don't yeah. elevate like what what the expectations are. Like, oh, I have to be an ultra Ironman runner now. Like, right, exactly. No, no, it's the same. It's a similar to the rooting thing. It's like it is good to like remind yourself of who you are. Like you are not your job Um, and your identity and who you are as a human being, like you are, you are many parts. And so I think what hobbies do is they're great for stress. Like they make you interesting. Mm -hmm. Interesting people are authentic leaders. Um, And they, I think they're just really valuable for like your, for your headspace too, you know? And so it's just like making sure that making sure that you aren't a person who only becomes your work, but that you, you exist outside of your work because the reality is like, if you're, if you're listening to this right now, like you're probably going to do your current job for less than two and a half years from right now in this moment. So if your entire, right now, yeah. yeah, And so if your entire identity is wrapped up in that, there's going to be moments where you're just stuck and you're like, Oh, there's nothing. I'm there's you know, it's, it's just, a, it was a simple way to give an example of, and it was really valuable for me at the start of my 
for a startup, I just got into a season where I was overworked and, and was working scared. Like I really needed this thing to work. I put everything in my career on the line to start my first business. And, um, and I think that was a bit of a turning point for me, like at what cost, like yeah. this kind of this moment I had with myself. So. That's great. And I can see that it's not about the chickens, everybody. Please don't go to like agrarian and go buy a bunch of chickens. Like if you want to have fun, but if you just, you know, that this idea of being able to shift your focus when you, even if you're passionate and you love your work, there's still value in being able to shift your focus. I have dogs and I used to be like, oh, now one of them was supposed to be a chihuahua. And then she was rescue dog. She grew up to be a boxer. So she's 40 pounds instead of like 12. And, you know, the vet's like, you got to walk her like twice a day. Like you got to walk about an hour a day. And I was like, this dog is ruining my life. And then I realized like actually walking is good for me too. Strange how that works out. Like I come up with my best ideas when I'm scooping her poop on the walk. That's fascinating to me. And that sometimes those taking care of animals or whatever it is, doesn't have to be that, but taking care of something or splitting your attention and moving away from work can be super helpful. I can see that. Okay, this last one, which I know is, it, it's easy to neglect, physical health. This is the fourth piece of staying centered as a leader. What an interesting time to have this as one of your, you know, main tenets too of staying centered. What made you say, we got to put physical health in there? I think it's, I do think it's more just like the holistic nature of what it means to be centered. Like it's that, it is that you are a whole person. And so part of is being good to yourself. And I think a lot of times new leaders also feel such immense stress that they'll neglect aspects of who they are. Sleep is, is an example too. Um, and if you need to, if you need to show up as your whole authentic self, that is uh, like that is a part of it is just setting aside time every single day to take care of your whole person or your physical self, you know, that yes. and it, it has obviously all sorts of benefits to, to your mind and your sharpness and your energy and, and all of that. But, um, there's no, there's no job that's worth sacrificing your, your physical, your physical, you know, self for. Mm -hmm. We're kind of stuck in these bodies. We kind of have to move around with them. So this is the one it's just the, you only get the one. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot upgrade. Well, in some ways you can, but not really. <laughs> so this is, I'm curious as, as everybody's listening to these ideas, I think Adam's nailing it with this idea of to be an authentic leader, to create engaged culture. We've got to be able to be authentic in tune with ourselves. And that actually means turning that focus in on ourselves first and saying, okay, what can I do to journal and express myself? What can I do to root myself in something larger What's a hobby that will help remind me of other aspects of who I am? And how do I take care of my physical health? I'm curious for um, everyone on the webinar, which one of these surprised you? And who has a question for Adam? I'm happy to, to um, field those questions too, but which one of these four, if any of them, surprised you about being a centered leader? Um, Kate asked a great question. How have you balanced these when you have leadership management culture that seems to never stop or turn off? Yeah. I think, I mean, that is, that is a challenge. I like, I do think, and, and I don't know your, this is where the work of translation matters, by the way. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's okay to represent your own boundaries. Like it's, um, and I think it's, I think it's okay. Early on, I shared, you know, we, a simple one with Santiago, my business partner. I obviously to start our first business, we had to work a lot of 
practical hours. But we set a simple ground rule in the beginning that was just like, hey, um, on the weekend, right? Unless it's urgent, we're not gonna text. Now, if you email me or send me a Slack, it's, it is, and I turn my own notifications off. I don't have either one really on my phone, but um, it, like it's my decision to proactively reach out. But if you're going to interrupt, we need to have boundaries on when we're each going to interrupt the mind, the headspace of, of the other. And, and like, I do think it's okay for you to think through um, what, what is acceptable and reasonable. And I would say most of the time when I've peeled back the curtain with people on that, that question, what I find is that they themselves deep down, and I don't, I'm not saying this to you, Kate, I'm just saying deep down, there is a compulsion to check, not an expectation to respond. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and that you actually can set the bound, your own boundaries. And if you're talented and you deliver outcomes for the business, whether or not you deliver the outcomes at at 9.30 p.m. or 4.30 p.m. Um, is usually is, is, is um, like accepted, you know, but, it, but mm -hmm. I do think there is, and many times we create the own environment of, and, and people interact with us based on who we are too. Yes. Well, and you lead the charge in this way at Amplify. Was it in June where you, where you just noticed that everybody's disengaged by Friday, so we're taking Friday off? Was it it was. Yeah, okay. I was basically, I mean, it was five to six weeks into COVID. We spent the first two or three weeks like building a tool that was an assessment. So it's on our website, by the way. It's a free well-being assessment to help people who are going through like moving remote or dealing with a global mm -hmm. pandemic. And we, so we were all working a ton of hours and we had nowhere to go because it was a global pandemic and mm -hmm. everybody was burnt out, but nobody was taking a break. And benefit of being an employee engagement company that focuses on data, I could see the data and it was pretty clear that the main driver is this capacity driver, which is like, does a person have more to give and the rest driver, do they feel like they have permission to take a break? And those two drivers were both um, just hot red, best way I could say it. And it was yeah. impacting our, our team. And, and what we realized was saying take a break wasn't going to be enough because there was still this layer of guilt that was happening and even in a healthy engaged culture. And so that was where we just were like, Hey, we're taking a month. We're taking a month, no Fridays for the month. Nobody, no emails, no Slack, no work, no meetings. And I think it, I, it was interesting. Cause like when I, I shared that actually on LinkedIn and it went viral, which I've never had something like that happen. I had, had five and a half million views, but yeah. I think, I think the reason why um, was because it said something that it wasn't like our company was the only company. It was like, it said something that everyone resonated with, which is just like, I'm tired. Does anybody see me? And I think people mm -hmm. just wanted to be seen and, and, and to actually have a, a genuine break. Yeah, I can totally see that. And the, the gift that you gave in that post that went viral too, I think was that you made it about data. So you made it easier for maybe more traditional leaders to jump in. You weren't like, everybody needs to protect their hearts right now. You were like, hey, our numbers show us what's happening. So we're gonna make a strategic, I think you maybe even use the word strategic or a word like that, like a strategic pivot that'll work, that'll help everybody. And I think you are just positioned in this really unique way where you do have empathy and you can see what's going on, but you can also use data to back up those decisions, which is pretty powerful right now. That's a huge bridge between generations too. I think that's awesome. Awesome. Yep. You were leading the way. I, I can see that too, that it also gave other companies, maybe smaller companies, the chance to say, well, if it's happening there, 
even though there's only 20 of us, maybe we can do something different too. I mean, it was chattering everybody as a consultant in Indianapolis. It was, we were talking about it. So it was, it was neat actually. Like, I think just because I've never experienced anything like that from like a volume perspective. Yeah. I mean, I think um, I, I got messages from all over the world and of, of companies who, who chose to follow um, and, and people in France and England and Croatia and like, it was a really neat moment of experiencing like this, like connectedness to others. Um, yep. And just to feel a part of that was a pretty cool, especially in like the middle of June when we're all in the middle of feeling probably like as lonely and like yeah. as, as we ever have. So Absolutely. Yeah. Now, what would you say if you were working with a company or somebody came to you and said, oh, employee engagement, my employees are happy. They're fine. What would you say to somebody that is trying to understand, you know, the difference if they're like, I'm trying to do everything I can to make my employees happy. I got the yeah. pool table. I do these things. How would you help them understand the difference between engagement and happiness? Well, I think the spirit behind a lot of leaders is good. Even ones yes. who live in kind of that um, previous mindset I was referring to. Yep. And they apply a lot of, bandwidth and velocity and like their own uh, energy and and what they end up feeling is desperation they're like why do not why do people not appreciate me i'm trying so hard they're exhausted you literally sometimes can just see when they talk to me you're like you see them like red in the face or just yep. feeling like and like that is the the problem is that you like we're assuming what our people are feeling all your the people who know how your people are feeling are your people and that's why yep. data helps it's it's data tells you what everyone else is thinking and mm -hmm. it gives you clarity on where to focus. So instead of trying 10 things that are wrong, you can try one or two things that are right. Mm -hmm. And that idea of engagement is it's more than just even being happy to work there. It's richer than that. Yeah, exactly. What are some things that um, you think, how does engagement specifically help companies hit their business objectives? I mean, at, at the core, right, it's, this is the big shift that happened is that people used to think culture was like this squishy thing. Engagement yeah. is this concept of as an individual, am I activated? Do I show up and bring my best self to work? And like our research shows seven out of 10 people don't. So at the wow. base level, Imagine if more of your people right now, only three in 10 are showing up and bringing their best. Imagine yeah. if more of those people brought their best, what type of impact it would have on your culture. In, I mean, in general, you know, if you look at like, so there was a study done S and P the S and P 500. If you look over five years, an average company, uh, if you compare that to a company uh, that was rated by Glassdoor, where the employees said they were a highly engaged culture, and you compare the results, those, those Glassdoor companies more than 2x outperformed the general S&P. And so it, it shows you the thing that everyone intuitively knows, if you can get more of your people to show up and bring their best, you're going to unlock growth for the company, you're gonna unlock profit, profit for the company. And it doesn't have to be like nebulous or confusing or you know, it's, it should be pretty straightforward. Yes. Yes. That's, so that's what I love too. It's like, even that example you're giving, it's not just that you're saying engagement will help you. It's actually pretty measurable that we can see it changes the game for you completely. I mean, it doubles your productivity in a sense. That's awesome. 
So we've got another question. Hey, Lisa from Well Done Marketing. She's here and she says, so given all of this, should leaders incentivize that kind of wellness, like buying the journal, a stipend for a hobby? How can leaders encourage others to, to want to become more authentic and to do that work? Yeah, that is, that's a great question. That's a great thought. I've genuinely never thought that before, but I think there could be something there. I'll have to, I'll have to sit on that. I do think, um, you know, one of the things like right now we're like building our leadership development program and like part of um, like coaching on self-awareness is part of it, you know, and like, Mm -hmm. and putting exercises in place that create a framework. That's kind of like the book um, has a corresponding workbook with it too. And then at the end of the chapters, there's like things to work through because I do think if you're in the beginning, you're like just trying, you need a little bit of a nudge or guidance. And so I, I, I like the way you're thinking about it, Lisa, as far as like, could there be a way that businesses could support and like encourage leaders down that path? Mm-hmm. I've seen um, events do this too, as a speaker at conferences when they're sending like the um, boxes to speakers and to participants and they're putting in elements to help you do this. Like we're going to add in a journal. We're going to add in a new water bottle that measures your ounces that you're drinking of water. You know, we're, we're doing some of these things. We're giving you, I did one group that had, I don't know where my silly putty is, but even silly things like, Hey, here's some silly putty to play with while you're sitting staring at zoom. But I can see how, even when we're not in the same place, how sending that, sending a gift like that, or a thought like that to somebody can help them feel included and maybe engage in these new activities. Yeah. Yeah. One like really practical thing, Lisa, that we do, by the way, in our culture, um, even like at the executive team is we do a a color check-in. So kind of part of that growing in your self-awareness or like naming how you're showing up. It's a simple uh, red, yellow, green. And we get, we do every color in between basically. So we get creative, I think (laughs) light yellow with green spots, you know, grello, whatever it may be, burnt orange. Um, Just as a way to say that like, hey, before we start our meetings, we want to know where we're all showing up. And it's also a really good way to create vulnerability too. Like we, we, we all know that we're all real people outside of this world too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and then we encourage, we do that, like we do that at the executive level, but then we encourage like the directors to do that um, on their teams as well, to create that kind of shared vulnerability uh, inside the company. What would you say to somebody who, cause I totally agree with you. I think it's so important, especially right now to read the room. And if you're not even in the same place, you really have to ask these questions um, there's a book. Where, where do I? I don't know. Here what is. color is it? It's in the it's blue. Can you hear me? Oh, by wow, Nick Morgan. Cool. And it talks about like how are we going to do this kind of stuff? And it was before the pandemic, but you know how do you actually connect with people in a virtual world? And he was saying what you're saying. We've got to do it that emotional kind of check-in. We are emotional creatures, and there's a million ways to do it. The stoplight example is perfect because it's not complicated but getting an idea of where people are at, especially if you don't have their body language or those other cues that you may get when you're all in the office together. Uh, it's in all of that too is in your book. You talk about it in your book, all those practical steps you can take. I'm curious if anybody else has any other questions. I've just got one more for Adam, but I wanted to give uh, listeners a chance because it's just so fun to have him on and in live real time. I love that I didn't know it was live. That's hilarious, by the way. It like flipped. I was like, oh, and there are real people here. Hey, everyone. Hope you're doing well. <laughs> there are real people. It's humans. a one take. Yeah, it does. I it's love good, it. though. It makes me. It's a good exercise, to... right? Yes, if exactly. 
Have you been on like a book tour, basically like a digital book tour? More than I would have thought. Yeah. You know, really I have, I've probably been doing like almost, almost three or four of these a day. I believe um, it. Or not a day. I didn't mean to say a day. That was a, a three or four a week. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> three or four a day that, would okay. be really impressive. No, like about, I mean, about, about three or four, three or four a week. Um, but which I love because like, I actually love this work. That's why I do what I do. You know, I'm like, I'm, I'm genuinely, I, I've, it's bigger than the book or it's bigger than even the company. Like I'm trying to change the way that people lead. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I'm trying to, and I want to create a group of people who feel permission to, to try to lead in a different way. And there will be a tipping point because the results will back this up. And I just am confident of that. And so I want to build a community of people who all are, are willing to be bold, authentic leaders in the world right now. I think so that's amazing. Yep. Um, I'm just writing this down because I really like how you said that. And you're right. It's it, there is that tipping point. If you get enough people to lead differently, and then you have the data, you're in a whole new stratosphere of right. change. We have a really important question here. <laughs> Erica asks, "Will your book be available on Audible?" <laughs> That's a good question. I didn't know people would buy it. I, so already I'm like a little. I didn't have that in the game plan, and now it's like it's done really well. So uh, yes. maybe I I'm. And every like conversation I have, I'm always kind of like, who's got the right voice, you know? So I'm, I'm working on it. I assume James Earl Jones uh, will be doing. <laughs> I don't know yet. Stay, stay tuned on that. I don't, I don't have plans for it right now, but, but it, it could happen. What do you think contributed to this? I mean, I know from an outside, like from a marketing perspective, so many people appreciate and respect you and they were just posting their genuine experience with you as a human and then how your book lined up with that that's what stood out to me is people weren't like people were like he's practicing this every day you should read this that's a whole different message what do you yeah. think helped get this book going so much i hope it was that i hope that yeah. it is it is the real experience one of the things we like challenged our or i asked a company with when they posted about it was like I don't want everybody to post the same thing. I want it to be your experience. Like the, the, it, there is a, I'd be lying if I said there's not a real high bar and a lot of pressure that comes from like leading, being a chief people officer of an employee engagement company. <laughs> yeah, I, double I, whammy. yeah, my own, I deal with my own self doubt of like, am I creating authentic experiences and mm -hmm. authentic environments and like, or, and then you get this added layer of every, then I spend speaking three times doing stuff like this three to four times a week. So I like, I, it matters, it matters very deeply to me that it feels true to them, that mm -hmm. it feels authentic to them, that it doesn't feel like hot air or anything like that. And so, um, yeah, I, yeah I'm, I'm appreciative that that's the experience that of how you received it too. Like I'm, I'm appreciative that that's what you experienced like on LinkedIn with how people were talking about it. So. Yeah. I think that's huge. And it reminds me, it, it reminds me a little bit of like Gary V like, are you this person for real or is it, this concept that you you just talk about and I watch how you know Gary Vaynerchuk or any leader thought leader that we love I actually watch how the people that he works with look at him mm. and talk about him more right. than I listen to his own words because I'm thinking Claude Silver's the same way his chief heart officer who I um, got to interview earlier this summer I went back and watched YouTube videos of her employees talking to her and you start to see like, do they really feel connected to her? Are they really being vulnerable? Yep. hundred percent. That says a lot about, you know, 
her style of leadership and anything that she writes, I'm like, that's truly authentic and self-aware. And so I just, I wanted to take a minute and say thank you for writing this book so we could hear your ideas, but even deeper than that, being that person behind the book. And that was so crystal clear on LinkedIn. It's really inspiring to me. And it's not always about numbers. And yet this is blowing up and getting bigger. It's not always about numbers. It's really about who you are as a person. And to get to see that kind of close up in one sense has been really cool. So I'm just so grateful that you took this time with us. I've got one question left for you and then I'll let you get back to the porch porch outside. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. My last question is if you had, and I think I know the answer, but I want to hear you say it. um, If you had one message to share with the world, if we could broadcast it to every human, what would you want to say? No pressure, tiny question. So it's such a tiny question. Oh my gosh. Um, to the whole, to the whole world. Uh, yeah. Or to maybe that maybe in your world, like <laughs> to all the CEOs. Yeah. Yeah. I think America. if it was to, if it was, it's like, cause the same thing, we're all many parts, you know, I'm really yes. passionate about things like the environment and things like yeah. that. I'm like, God. Oh, um, be like, stop I, using straws. Also, yeah. Like a human. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, I think it is to to believe in the authentic goodness of the people on your team, and mm. to believe that they are uh, they are capable of more than they currently are giving. And I think if you can if you can start there and then see the potential and then find fulfillment in pulling that potential out of people, that is a legacy. Like that is a way to spend a, work, a career um, and one yeah. that will, will build lots of fulfillment both, both personally for them, but I do believe it will be good for their business too. Yes. So and don't well. use straws, right? And, and also please stop using straws. Both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so well said, Adam. Thank you for your time today. It was awesome to have you on the porch. Been looking forward to this for a while. So Thank you for taking the time during your schedule to come in and talk about this and have a real conversation with us. I know we all really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this. And uh, everyone, thank you for taking time out of your day. That was really great. I'm I'm appreciative of the time. Awesome. Okay, we will have a recording because I'm sure you're going to want to share this with your team. We'll have a recording out soon. Adam, I'll make sure to get it to you too. Um, (laughs) And I'll be posting it on LinkedIn if, if people want to continue to spread it and talk about it. I think... It can be one of these, this is the type of conversation where if you wake up in the morning and you're feeling kind of wonky, this is a great place to start. So we'll make sure to make that available. Thank you everybody for being a part of this. Adam, I hope you have a great rest of your day and uh, I'll be watching and cheering you on. Thank you, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks everybody.